You've heard me talk before about negative signs in relationships. But what about the positive ones? How do you know that your relationship is healthy? Today we're talking about 13 signs of a healthy relationship. How positive, how good. Unlike the times that we've talked about risky or negative or controlling relationship behaviors, today we are embracing the good stuff and how to get it if you feel like you don't have it. If instead of relationship warning signs, you'd rather celebrate some of the positive things to build a foundation, you'll want to listen to today's baggage check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice. And I've missed you. This is our first episode on the new schedule of bi-weekly, meaning every other week, versus bi-weekly, meaning twice a week. So yes, we technically didn't shift since we're still bi-weekly, except the meeting shifted. So it's been two weeks since I've been with you all, and I'm glad to be back. If you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, you can listen to the episode right before this one, where I talk about life transitions of my own and chaos and being willing sometimes to let go rather than keep adding on. But of course, the show is not going anywhere. It's just that the pattern has changed a bit. So with that, again, this is Baggage Check Mental Health Talk and Advice with new episodes every other Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about the difference between dog fur versus dog hair. So let's get to it. I've talked about all aspects of warning, risky, negative types of relationship behaviors. So today I thought I'd get more positive because the vast majority of relationships aren't these terrible, awful things, even if they might have some tweaks that could be used here and there. A lot of relationships have wonderful things, wonderful things that can be nourished and built upon, wonderful things that can be celebrated. And then there's a lot of relationships in the middle where somebody says, nah, those, those warning signs don't apply but I'm also not sure if there's enough of the good stuff. So that's what we're talking about today. Lucky number 13, 13 signs of a healthy relationship. And again, I think, you know, sometimes these listicle things, listicle, ew, what a gross word, but sometimes these listicles can be so oversimplified. We're not meaning to oversimplify here, but rather to really just scratch the surface of some things to think about and for you to start imagining angles that you didn't necessarily reflect upon before in terms of your relationship. Where I think this can be particularly important is when people didn't necessarily grow up with great models of what a healthy relationship looks like. And so they kind of know what's bad and what's wrong, but they also sometimes feel lost saying, I don't really know how to build a good relationship. I don't really know how I will know that it's a good relationship. I don't know how to contribute to that. I don't know what to look for. So that's what we're after today. So without further ado, today we're talking about 13 signs of a healthy relationship so that you can better understand what it might look like if that's feeling a little bit murky to you or you're unsure in your current relationship. 
And as always, when we're talking about relationships, we're really broadening our discussion to mean all kinds of relationships. Family relationships, friend relationships, romantic relationships, sexual relationships, work relationships, neighbor relationships. Of course, a lot of our focus when we're talking about a relationship is on romantic relationships or the expectation of a monogamous relationship for a commitment. But even if you're not dating or you've long since been in a good marriage or you think none of these things would apply to you or your interest in terms of romantic relationship, a lot of these are foundational principles for any kind of relationship as well. At least any kind of close relationship. I don't think that the person who occasionally is my cashier at Trader Joe's every once in a while needs to get really, really deeply emotionally intimate with me, although they are always a delight when I do buy my dolmas. And once again, apologies to anybody in the Washington, D.C. area who can never get stuffed grape leaves from Trader Joe's because I and my family have bought every last can of them. Anyway, I keep saying without further ado, so let's actually do no more ado signs of a healthy relationship. Number one, trust. This is arguably one of the most important relationship characteristics. Without trust, it is really hard to build a solid foundation in order to grow emotional intimacy. And we've talked about this, your potential for hurt and getting hurt over and over again grows so much bigger when there's not trust. You're constantly left unsure of whether you can count on your partner if there's no trust, whether or not they really mean what they're saying. We've talked a little bit about how to build or rebuild trust in a relationship, so definitely visit those episodes if you're struggling with this. Trust is what helps you feel more resilient, more supported. Trust is what allows you to relax in and actually get comfort in a relationship rather than being further stressed by it. Number two, communication. Of course, there's so much we could say about communication, but we're talking about healthy communication, functional communication, communication that has honesty and respect, especially about things that are difficult. This doesn't come automatically to everybody. We may have learned some patterns that really made us stuff uncomfortable things under the surface, or we don't like talking about feelings in general, or we always seek out the appearance of harmony, we get scared of conflict, we don't want to be vulnerable, or we don't want to appear weak or imperfect. We might not even be good at actually acknowledging difficult feelings to ourselves. So of course it stands to reason that for a lot of us, it's really hard to acknowledge them to a partner or to a close friend. You know, a lot of times the communication problems are with escalation though. So the feelings get so huge that they affect our behavior in dysfunctional ways. And when we feel mad or scared, we don't handle it well at all. We act destructively on it. Remember, Feelings are rarely the problem, if ever. It's what we do with them that determines whether or not we're functional with them. So really working on communication, not taking things over personally, not lashing out when we feel threatened, being able to be respectful to each other, to actually value listening and not just talking. This is the lifeblood that really nourishes good relationships. Number three, 
patience. Of course, nobody can be perfectly patient all the time. And when we're underslept or we're under stress, we've got physical health problems, so we're more agitated, we're scared, we're going through an uncertain time, we're worried about money. That's all part of being human, and it might give us an edge where we're more irritable. But when partners are in a healthy and loving relationship, that basic common denominator of patience, that's so key. It allows for flexibility. It allows for peaceful communication. It allows for us to be able to support each other and really hear each other and understand each other. When there's chronic impatience within a relationship, it basically can create resentment. There's that bean counting element. I'm so tired of this person doing this and I got to get revenge for it or they need to make up for it. Each one of the people sort of racking up the offenses that the other partner has committed. But when you can be patient and be able to adjust to the ebbs and flows of a partner's mood in day-to-day life, within reason that is, that can really help the feeling of unconditional love. Now, again, I say within reason because certainly there is such a thing. Just like too much spinach will give you kidney stones, there is such a thing as too much patience as well. When a partner hasn't been doing what they say that they'll do, or they've been behaving not so great, or they're supposed to be kind of working on a major issue, and they're just dragging their feet, and the other partner is infinitely patient, I'm going to wager that that's a problem in and of itself. But within reason, this patience is so important for healthy relationships. Number four, empathy. Being willing to take another person's perspective is so helpful out there in the world, whether it's being a good neighbor or a parent or even just letting somebody merge in front of you on the highway. But arguably, it's most important with the person that you've chosen as a partner. Can you truly put forth effort to understand their perspective, to walk in their shoes, even when it seems strange to you or maybe when you disagree with an opinion of theirs? Does their pain spur you to try to help them feel better, to help communicate and solve the problem and offer emotional support? Do you feel happy about your partner's triumphs? Empathy is crucial for long-term love. A lot of times, especially with really, really, really highly ambitious couples, sometimes they don't necessarily celebrate each other's successes as much as they really wish they could because there's competition, or again, there's bean counting, or there's the sense that they're not really truly happy for each other. Or on the flip side, when they experience a setback, there's kind of an element of, well, it serves them right. That stuff really breaks down empathy over time, or more specifically, is probably a reflection of lack of empathy in the first place. So again, Empathy, very, very, very key. Now, with all of these, again, you can imagine a scenario where maybe the empathy is so, so, so strong that you can't give another perspective that they so desperately need because you're so enmeshed. Or you take their setback so hard that they need to comfort you. Or they're making flimsy excuses for things, but you're over-empathizing and giving them the benefit of the doubt and I don't want to say letting them off the hook too easily, but that's kind of what I'm talking about. 
In that case, of course, you can imagine that empathy could go too far in the extreme. But in general, empathy is going to be really, really good. Number five, I kind of combined a couple here, affection and interest. It likely goes without saying that in a committed romantic relationship, that love is there. You might notice that I didn't bother to put love on this list of 13 things because I wanted to break it down a little bit more concretely. Love can be different things to different people. And of course, most people take it that that's the basic that you need, at least in committed monogamous romantic relationships. But more subtle than love is that expression of affection and also a genuine interest in each other, a liking of each other, small physical gestures of affection, hugs, kisses, comforting touch, they can all go a really long way to keeping each person feeling comforted and secure and valued within the relationship. Of course, no two couples have the exact same preferences for the right amount of physical affection. It's all about how the needs match up with each other. Same, of course, is true of physical intimacy. But this like factor of what I'm talking about, that often goes further than love in the day-to-day meaning that you're truly interested in each other, truly fond of each other, that you're together out of attraction, even if it's not the honeymoon physical infatuation, rather than obligation. You're interested in each other. You're drawn to each other. That's what I'm talking about with affection and interest. There are many, 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 many brands of love. But I think what we're talking about here, especially for monogamous committed relationships, is the idea of truly being drawn to each other still. Again, even if it's not the teenage fantasy kind of way, but just wanting to be together, as trite as that sounds. Number six, flexibility. Relationships take compromise. You've heard it before, no doubt. And certainly, not all things can really involve compromise. You know, I work with a lot of clients who are trying to decide about children, and you can't really decide to have half a child unless things are getting really, really weird in your neck of the woods. But basically, this that key component of compromise is flexibility. And even if you can't exactly split things down the middle, It's important that both parties are willing to show flexibility in day-to-day life and in decision-making. Because if it's just always one partner doing the bending or both partners becoming so brittle that they break, that can grow toxic over time. In healthy relationships, both partners are willing to adjust as needed to growth, to positive changes and negative changes. Any of these things can come about during long-term relationships. We are not going to be the same people five years from now that we are the second. And that's more than okay. That can be very, very positive. But we have to be willing to adjust to that. When we're in a good partnership, we can evaluate together, especially during conflicts, what matters most to each other and how that should be prioritized and how we can adjust our own actions or behaviors to accommodate that. Two partners who are never willing to bend to meet the other, they're going to be on separate paths altogether before long. 
which is really a far cry from truly sharing a life together. Number seven, appreciation. I've talked about gratitude. I've talked about gratitude a lot. Some of you might tag the phrase ad nauseum to the amount of times that I've talked about gratitude. But the research is so clear that gratitude is wonderful, not just on an individual level. And remember, listen back to those gratitude episodes if you're thinking this just means be thankful no matter what and shut your trap because that's not what gratitude is. But gratitude within relationships it makes us feel happier and more secure with our partners. This really, really is borne out by research. And of course, you might say, well, this is cyclical in the other direction. When we have great partners, it's easier to be grateful. And that's true. However, it goes both ways. So when we can spend time engaging with that gratitude, appreciating our partner, respecting our partner, and actually expressing that gratitude for who they are, that helps improve the depth of relationships and relationship satisfaction. So the next time you think it doesn't matter whether you say thank you for something your partner did, think again. And consider how negative it can feel to feel underappreciated, invalidated, unseen. It really goes a long way to express appreciation, even for the smaller stuff. Number eight, room for growth. This ties into what we talked about with flexibility. Relationships often grow stale, not just because a certain amount of time has elapsed, but because people feel stuck. They feel unable to breathe, unable to progress, either as an individual or as a couple. It's really unrealistic, as I mentioned, to expect that two people will remain the exact same across months or years or decades, certainly, of a relationship. We're all evolving constantly. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's often a good thing. Our hopes, our fears, our goals, even just what we're interested in. Who would have seen pickleball coming five years ago? A relationship does not have to suffer because of this if both people are willing to allow room for growth for themselves and for each other. This even goes into how we see our partners, not pigeonholing them into versions of their younger selves or having their identity be something that we hang on to in such a rigid way that we don't allow them to change. Again, if we can be flexible, if we can learn what's important to the other person, then we can be much better able to allow this room for growth. Number nine, respect. Now, we often talk about respect in the context of people who are not emotionally intimate with each other. So respecting our elders, respecting symbols of religious faith, respecting authority, respecting the stranger as you use your manners. But let's think about it in terms of a close partnership as well. This means such important stuff on a day-to-day basis. This means not invalidating, not belittling, not debasing, not pressing the person's trigger just because you want to get a rise out of them. People in healthy relationships, they value each other's time. They respect it. They value each other's opinions. They protect each other's privacy. They don't use each other as the butt of jokes. They don't use each other as hired help to constantly clean up the apartment or make a thankless dinner for the 27th time. 
These are the types of things I see day in and day out with some of my clients when they feel like the respect is gone. They feel invalidated. Again, we talked about appreciation. There's some overlap here. But with respect, we're talking even more deeply about not feeling belittled. So when respect begins to erode within a relationship, it can take a really long time to build it back. So the damage is much quicker to do than to undo. So bear that in mind. Number 10, reciprocity. In healthy relationships, the tallying that goes on in the early relationship starts to fade over time as that deeper trust and balance starts to take over. You know, it's no longer the, well, he picked me up at the airport, so I owe him a favor. There's a new equilibrium that takes place. Again, there's that trust. You both just generally do for each other when needed. In an ideal situation, the give and take roughly works out to equal over time and neither partner feels resentful. But in many relationships, it's not going to be even. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be equal. One partner might need long-term medical care. One partner might be naturally a more nurturing person. One partner might have a psychological disorder that can be taxing on the relationship. That can be okay as long as both partners feel comfortable overall with the level of give and take as it exists. If it's a form of reciprocity that works for them, if it feels balanced to them, if it feels like it has all these other components in it that we've been talking about, then that can be your own reciprocity. It doesn't have to be exactly 50-50. Of course, what happens in a lot of couples is that one person maybe carries a heavier weight in certain areas and the other person carries another heavy weight in a different area. Again, not because it's constant bean counting about who owes who what, but it's just the way that it fits beautifully together and it feels balanced very naturally. Number 11, Healthy conflict resolution. There's so much research about how a couple argues. You've probably seen it or how they don't argue more specifically and how that can predict a lot about the relationship success. I know there are some pretty bold claims, you know, show me a video of four nanoseconds and I'll tell you if that couple's still together in 10 years. We don't want it to turn into reading a tea leaf situation, but the truth is conflict resolution tells us so much about a couple's chances over time. And we tend to have rose-colored glasses about romance in American culture, at least. We're willing to entertain the conflict in the beginning, the whole boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy then gets back with girl and lives happily ever after, that whole trope of movies. But once that couple rides off into the sunset together, we just expect that things will be a-okay from then on out. But ironically, couples who hide their upset with one another in order to preserve this illusion of the perfect relationship, they don't ever learn how to manage the very realistic conflicts that will come up. They're probably worse off than the couples that kind of learn to fight, although I don't love the word fight in this context, but that's really what we're talking about. In short, healthy relationships, they refrain from stonewalling, escalating into personal attacks. They refrain from disrespect being a constantly embedded aspect of arguments, as we've talked about before. 
They've learned how to express their feelings, even difficult ones. So that goes back to communication. They've learned how to talk, how to listen. They've learned how to actually manage the discomfort of conflict in a way that's not going to derail them. Goes to flexibility as well. Number 12, individuality and boundaries. So two people who were absolutely exactly the same, what are they going to talk about after a while? They'd already know what each other's perspective would be. So why would they bother to even have to hear it? Of course, two people who are so, so, so different that they have completely different values or hopes or daily styles of living they're bound not to have enough overlap to actually keep maintaining interest in each other at best. Or at worst, they're just going to dislike each other. So the sweet spot is where the similarities create a foundation to connect, but the individual differences keep interest alive and they're still respected and valued. Remember those words? There we are again. It's important that each partner is given the freedom to still have their own life, especially in terms of friendships or professional goals, hobbies, interests. A strong, healthy relationship brings to mind a Venn diagram. Do we even use those words anymore? I know in my kid's school system, at some point they became comparison circles. What happened to poor Venn? I looked it up once wondering if there was like some awful thing that he had done. I didn't find anything. But anyway, a lot of people my age know it as a Venn diagram. If we're going to look at healthy relationships of that where each person is a circle, there's adequate overlap to keep the connection strong, but there's still some stuff outside the overlap that belongs to you alone. And that boundary is respected. You know, some partners, it's going to be a lot closer to one circle. Other partners, the overlap is a lot smaller. Maybe if they're long distance and they don't share in the day-to-day of each other's lives as much, that's okay as long as it works for you both and as long as there is some room for individuality. And finally, number 13, openness and honesty. So this is, once again, a huge matter of personal preference, not necessarily talking about lying or dishonesty, but in terms of openness, you know, some partners are going to know everything about each other's digestive systems. They leave the bathroom door open, for instance, whereas other partners, that is not going to be a thing. They'd be horrified about that. And of course, this is going to apply to a lot of types of things. Some partners know everything there is about each other's work days and all the characters and all the various trials and tribulations. Other partners just don't spend a lot of time talking about that with each other, and that's okay. But no matter where you fall on that spectrum of letting it all hang out, it's important once again that there's a solid match and that there's honesty. Partners who mask their true selves or who hide their emotional realities or who actively deceive their partners about their habits, about their behaviors. Of course, what does that come down to? It comes down to jeopardizing trust, which is exactly where we started today. So we're kind of coming full circle. It feels kind of like honesty has got to underlie everything. But then there's a spectrum of actual openness about certain things that might be a little bit more flexible in terms of how you literally let it all hang out. But the key, once again, 
is that it feels authentic to both of you. So we've covered quite a lot today. Thank you for bearing with me. Again, it was good to be back with you after two weeks. As always, if you have any comments on this, anything you think I left out, anything that sparks something in you, let me know. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Marity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.